I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and this is Launchpad, where I talk to successful entrepreneurs about the secrets to launching and growing their startups. I'm very happy to welcome to the show, by phone, Jonathan Regev, who's the founder of The Farmer's Dog. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. First things first, I want to point our listeners to your website, and it's just the farmer's dog. Just put those three words together, thefarmersdog.com. Jonathan, give us the elevator pitch for The Farmer's Dog. Sure. Um, so The Farmer's Dog is it's basically a next-generation pet food company that's online and subscription only. So we can guide each customer to a personalized meal plan. Uh, we make the food fresh using real actual ingredients, just like you'd find in a, in a grocery store, and we deliver it uh, conveniently to people's doors. All right. Tell me a little bit more about the food itself. So what does it look like and and what's it made of? So it's not it's not too dissimilar to um, to just homemade food. If you took ground meat and cut up vegetables and stirred it in a pot for it for about an hour, uh, it's literally what it looks like. Um, and it's, that's basically what it is. Mm-hmm. Actually. Um, and so, so all we do to make it pet food is essentially add some vitamins and minerals that um that we consult with veterinary nutritionists that that uh, they create like a balanced pet food for a dog. Okay, and how does that differ from, say, an a, another brand of premium dog food that I that I buy in the pet store from my vet? Yeah. Well, so there's there's a vast range of premium pet foods. So you have everything from a typical can uh, can pet food or kibble. Uh, and then you have some of the higher end uh, frozen foods, and we're we're pretty we're pretty different from from all of the above. Uh, if you compare it to uh, conventional pet food like a kibble, um, typically those are processed to to uh, a great degree. Uh, they use many different types of ingredients um, that just make the food completely just completely differentiated. Uh, and if you look at the the higher end versions of uh, even uh, a frozen pet food. Typically, those foods are uh, were made six months or a year prior to, to feeding it to the dog. Uh, they typically have preservatives, uh, and so we're able to to have full predictability into our demand needs and supply needs. Uh, excuse me. Uh, so we can make the food fresh. Uh, so it's just just it's just food. Yeah, and and just to give us a sense visually, how's it packaged and how's it delivered? So we package it into vacuum sealed bags. So they tend to be in um, in a compact form. So it fits very well into a freezer or fridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we deliver it in um, in insulated containers, essentially like uh, like a recipe kit delivery company. Except mm-hmm. we were, we were able to source some biodegradable uh, insulation, and so it basically arrives in in uh, in a box. It's cold or, or, or frozen. Um, and that's about, that's about all that's in the box. It's pretty bare. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I got to I, I can't resist. I just got to ask who makes your insulation, <laughs> who makes your insulation is it temper pack. Uh, it's not temper pack. We, 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 um, we use, a uh, a different company. It's, it's basically made out of, uh, cornstarch. Okay. Got it. Um, yeah, it's my conflict of interest. It should be Temper Pack because they're my. I'm, okay. a, I'm an investor in that company, so I, uh, I'm just I'm just teasing. I, but I was curious. Okay, so um, so and, and and last question about delivery and package. 
a roughly how many servings do I do I order typically? Is it a is it a week's worth? A couple weeks worth? So it, it, it completely varies depending on the dog. So mm-hmm. I think what's what's really unique about uh, putting a dog on a subscription is uh, you have a high variety of consumption patterns. Yeah. Right. So. Uh, you have everywhere from a two-pound dog to a 200-pound dog, mm. and then everything in between. Uh, and so the the amount of meals that we send in one box really depends on the, on on those consumption patterns I and see. what we've deemed to be optimal for for the subscription. Okay, got it. Um, and then and what what do I pay? I know again it, it's going to vary by dog, but give me some way to think about what it costs me. Yeah. yeah. It's also fairly difficult to, to explain price because we, we price depending on those consumption patterns. And mm-hmm. so um, if you have multiple dogs, uh, uh, it's going to be less per pound than, 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 uh, than a, single, a single dog. If you have a small dog, it's different than a big dog. Mm-hmm. Um, but we typically see our, our prices ranging anywhere from 13 or $15 a week mm-hmm. um, upwards to 30 or $50 a mm-hmm. week. If you, have, if you have multiple big dogs, it can be more. Um, and the price uh, also varies greatly in relation to what you were spending, uh, depending on the quality of food you used to sure. used to uh, used to feed. Yeah, um, and maybe you could say a little bit about about your segment and 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 what button you push for that segment. That is, what is really the benefit proposition for your customer? Sure. So, our, you know, we we look at our customer in a very general view, which is they they love their dog. Uh, and then they also see the value of healthy food. They understand the power that food has on their own health. And our job is just to make that connection. Some have already made the connection, but, but to make that connection, that that same philosophy applies to, to their dogs. Uh, I think for the most part, if you look at, and, and you, were, you were talking about premium pet food, but when you look at premium pet food, it's essentially marketed with the same words that we use. It's all healthy and natural and fresh. Um, but when you actually open the product or experience the product, it's not, it's not really differentiated at all. Mm-hmm. And so all we've done is, uh, is, is produce the product um, in a way that, that it acts real and fresh and natural, um, and, and people can see that. Uh, and so it also has tangible benefits to, to their dogs as well. Okay, so let me ask you the. I, I'll ask. Try to ask this politely and and not cynically as a non-pet sure. person. But but does my dog really care? Or uh, I mean, it, or or will the dog? No. It, yeah. Okay. So the dog doesn't care. So this is really about the owner. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. No. No. So, so, sometimes. I mean, the, the dog cares. In this, you have some dogs that are picky. Um, and, uh, and, you know, m- a lot of dogs that aren't, um, you know, my, my, my personal dog, he will eat, I have to fight him on, on uh, a daily basis, not to eat, you know, the sidewalk chicken as I'm walking <laughs> down uh, New York. Yeah. Right. So, so what was really important, um, for us is that we, you know, we weren't creating a fancy dog food company mm-hmm. where, where the dog does care is when they don't feel well, right. Yeah. Or if they're ill. Um, and that's the same thing with, 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 um, the human, right? That their 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 goal is to take care of their dog in the best way possible. And if the dog falls ill or becomes sick, um, or their health begins to deteriorate, they then take them to the vet. They they uh, spend money on surgery, etc. Uh, and so, you know, th- their desire is to take care of them in, in the best way possible. 
All right, Jonathan, take us back to the origin story. Where does where does the farmer's dog come from? So it, the idea really spawned once we discovered what pet food was. We made that connection that maybe this isn't uh, actual food. Uh, but my by now my now co-founder Brett was um, he, he he was uh, instructed by his veterinarian to start cooking for his dog. Hmm. Um, she had always been ill. Uh, he had tried every pet food on the market, and she just kept getting sick and kept getting sick. And finally, the vet had said, "Hey, why don't you cook for her um, and just try that for a bit?" And almost immediately, all of her symptoms completely went away. Hmm. Uh, and so that got him looking into, uh, into again, what pet food actually was, how was it manufactured, how was it marketed. Uh, and we really just found a lot of things that we didn't like about it. Um, and when I sort of took a look at the market and you look at how dogs consume at essentially uh, hyper-regular patterns, uh, they really make sense to be on a subscription. And we just made that connection. If you can put the dogs on a subscription, well, you can make the food fresh and you don't have to process it uh, at a high degree. Uh, and you can send it, cut out some retailers and distributors and make it as affordable as possible and put most of the value um, uh, and customer dollars into the quality of food. Uh, and so so that was essentially the beginning of, of the entire journey. So, Jonathan, let me, let me ask about that because I would say – I mean, I, I love the idea. I think it's a really powerful idea, but it but it's not really a deeply subtle idea. It's it it looks a lot like many other things we're seeing in the market for humans today and a trend towards direct to consumer. And I, I wonder if you could speak to why hadn't it happened before and what were the enabling conditions that gave you this market opening? Sure. And, and, and actually, it's pretty important. I think we didn't, we didn't come into this from a market perspective. We weren't, um, we weren't trying to create a blue apron for dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you look at the direct-to-consumer uh, uh, concept, right, it typically starts with a product that's already available. Um, you apply direct-to-consumer efficiencies to be able to lower the price yep. of that product. You make an enticing brand that combats the uh, the perception of lower price equals lower quality, uh, and then and then you attack the market from there. Um, I think what's what's very unique about about this model is that being direct to consumer is really the only way that we can provide the product and create the product uh, that we're seeking. Right. So if we were going through a retail store, not only would we have to pay the the distributors and retail fees. But we'd have to process the food to be shelf stable. Yeah, um, interesting. So this was really the only way to to be able to do that. So so we didn't we didn't base the model off anything else that existed, um, but we did look at businesses that did exist, and that proved that the customer was comfortable with being on a subscription. They were cu- they were comfortable uh, with purchasing online, um, and so th- that's how that's how we looked at the market. Uh, what we what we also discovered was uh, if you look at Every major city in the States, they probably have five or ten companies um, that had the same experience that, that Brett, my co-founder, did, which was the dog was getting sick. They started cooking food. Uh, the dog got much better, and they wanted to create a business around that. Um, but for the most part, those were businesses um, that weren't taking advantage of this, this concept of, of, uh, of direct-to-consumer. They, yeah. weren't, they weren't necessarily building for scale. They were uh, phenomenally expensive. Uh, and so we looked at it from a different light. Uh, and, and one of the challenges that we really ran into right away was that complexity of, uh, of dog size, right? Because if, if you look at a Blue Apron, um, 
you know, they have a lot of, a lot of complexity in the distribution. Yeah. Uh, it was a, an, an entirely new form of fulfillment. But if you look at the subscription aspect, the technology to make the subscription, it's fairly simple. You have a human, um, and they eat uh, typically the same portion size. Maybe some parts of the country are a bit different. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's a very simple subscription. But for a dog um, that's eating this product every day, uh, it was very difficult to come up with, uh, with a subscription format that could achieve a seamless subscription where you're not missing a meal or you never send too much um, and that you can really optimize the fulfillment uh, to be able to minimize that cost to be able to be competitive against retail. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's where I think a lot of direct-to-consumer businesses can get caught up um, is in, in, in the fulfillment, right? Um, and so our goal was, was to create a fulfillment structure where the cost to fulfill was far less than what we'd have to pay at a retailer or distributor. Yeah. Um, and that, for us, was the only way that we can actually make this work. And that, that took a very, very long time to do. Mm. Take us back to when you got started on this and help me to identify what you perceived as the big risk factors. It It sounds like, from what you just said, that you weren't really concerned about the actual value proposition to the user. You were concerned about, can we actually deliver that value proposition? Did I get that right? What were the main risk factors? Well, I mean, we, we certainly were concerned that um, that maybe people wouldn't actually want this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I think you can look at the market, and again, all these companies are, are marketing their pet food to be healthy and real food and, and, uh, and natural. And we figured, hey, if we can actually make a food that's real and healthy and natural, people would want it. Um, but the real question was, you know, would they pay the price that's needed, uh, yeah. number one? Uh, and, and the other question was, how can we scale this, right? Yeah. And so the first thing we did was essentially put up a landing page, um, and and very quickly we saw that people really wanted a product like this. Um, and so that that's where that's where we started from. Um, the questions of scale uh, were quite large for us um, when we started the company. When we did our first few batches of food, uh, we only let a few dogs on and uh, and started cooking the food in, in sort of a, a commercial kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, and the challenge that we started to run into was when we, we started to look for manufacturers and we wanted to work with human grade manufacturers, um, which is very important uh, to, to, to understand the industry. Um, human grade just simply means that they go through certain quality controls and measures that, um, that a feed grade or pet food uh, typically doesn't have to. And since our product is fresh and we're not putting preservatives, we felt it very important to make sure that it was made in a human-grade facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where we ran into a lot of issues uh, was, was essentially nobody wanted to work with us because the end product was sold to a pet, right? <laughs> so it was almost like a stigma. Right. Uh, you know, we'd say, oh, you get all the ingredients and you can produce the food, um, and, and no one would do it. So that, that, was, that was one issue wow. uh, for scale. Uh, and then the other issue was was this subscription issue. Mm. So, um, you know, f- figuring out how to build the architecture and an entirely new system uh, to be able to handle essentially an infinite amount of permutations um, for a subscription was quite complex as well. Mm-hmm. So th- th- those, those are the main two issues that we were uh, seeking to solve. And on that second one, I can imagine a fork in the road where you you had to decide, do we have to do this ourselves or can we find a supplier who will do what we need? Did you evaluate that option and how did you end up going? Uh, we did. We started, we started to do it ourselves. 
um, we, we could not find a supplier. Yeah. Uh, we started to do it ourselves while seeking a, another supplier. Um, and eventually we found a few partners that happened to be dog lovers <laughs> huh. uh, that would that would let us create uh, essentially our own production line within their their already human-grade facilities. And so yeah. we have uh, employees on site that are managing the production uh, and they're uh, over, overseeing, but it's done as essentially a partnership. So I think we got... Uh, we got very lucky in that respect. Yeah. T- t- let's change the subject a little bit and, and uh, talk a little bit about the funding milestones. I see that this is good timing. It looks like, if at least if Crunchbase can be believed, that you just closed a major round last week. And even more thrilling is that it's two of my friends' venture funds. So Yuri Kim, <laughs> really? Yuri Kim who's my former student, uh, is one of the partners at Forerunner. And... Uh, and actually, Rob Conneyberry is my co-host at Shasta Ventures. I know it's his partner who led the deal, but still, it's pretty awesome to see those two firms as in, as your investors. I know them really well. So tell us a little bit about, about the funding milestones and how you went around uh, went about the, the fundraising. Yeah. Sure. So... You know, part part of our story that I don't talk about often is that we didn't we didn't start the company to be a venture backed firm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we it was almost a, a passion project and something that we wanted to change and and something that we felt could be bootstrapped for a while. Um, from the from the beginning, uh, our, some of our customers happened to be investors, and and um, I ended up getting connected to Yuri just just uh, uh, from from a friend just asking some advice about taking venture money, et cetera. Um, she ended up becoming a customer uh, for, for probably six months or 10 months um, before we had ever decided to, to, to make this a venture-backed firm. Um, and so she was basically the first person that we reached out to. <laughs> oh, that's uh, hilarious. She was a fan of the food. Yeah, and she, uh, and she was very excited to do so. Wow. So we, yeah, so we closed, we closed that. Uh, that was a $2 million seed round. Uh, we had already... Essentially, our MVP product was already profitable. Um, we were paying our own salaries, but again, we were running into these scale issues where we needed some more capital. Um, and so we took in that seed money, and we essentially, uh, the main investments there were, were taking this experience that we created um, and, and just building the infrastructure to be able to scale that. Hmm. And so that took, that took about uh, the year. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, the, the past few months has been pretty apparent that that we've achieved this uh, product market fit and uh, and went out for additional funding to to further fuel the growth. Yeah, so I, I want to underscore that model because it's it's really great. I mean, first of all, I would say if you can avoid taking venture capital, absolutely do. I mean, it's, it's, it's always a pain to both raise the money and then to deal with your investors. Um, so, so that impulse seemed right. But then, but then this idea that, well, we don't really need venture capital, but, but having these relationships with venture capitals that venture capitals, that you can then ask for advice. There's a saying in Silicon Valley, if you want money, ask for advice. If you want advice, ask for money. And that's really what you did. You asked for advice, and and the the money followed. So I I really like the strategy, which maybe in retrospect seems haphazard, but it but it looks like a really good strategy. It, it would have been a good strategy if we were trying to raise money from the beginning. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I think I think it was it was uh, a bit of happenstance. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, 
I, I think bootstrapping the company also uh, gave us some huge competitive advantages in understanding the issues that come along with this type of subscription, um, spending a, a lot of time thinking through those before yeah. we invest in any infrastructure. Um, that I think is that that combination has really helped us um, in the long term. Yeah. Well, tell me how you think about the future because you have sort of named yourself into a corner uh, with the by calling it the farmer's <laughs> talk. <laughs> <laughs> Can you say and the cat too, <laughs> or what? What is is it really about dogs, or is there are there adjacent opportunities? Yeah, it's about it's about pets. Yeah, uh, we don't think we're we're pigeonholed necessarily by the name. Yeah, uh, we see many ways that it can work, um, and and it's a really easy extension for us. But I think um, both dogs and cats are are, are plagued with this. Uh, issue that that you know pet food is marketed one way uh, but it's delivered and manufactured in a very different way and i think uh both uh dog and cat lovers are looking for healthier food and and um uh you know it it, it i could imagine that it's in our horizons yeah um so we we just have a couple minutes left but let me shift gears once again and ask you about your personal journey so had you sure. always wanted to lead a a dog food company and uh since i was a kid you know. <laughs> so just talk us through talk us through a little bit what you did want to be when you were a kid and and how your your career played out Sure. I, so no, I, I, I had never, I could never fathom that uh, I would, I would be working in a dog food company, let alone uh, leading one or creating one. Right. Um, I was, I was uh, fortunate that um, out of school, I went to work with, um, with a venture firm. I was essentially an entrepreneur in residence, and and was able to, uh, to launch an e-commerce company out in Asia. Uh, and so got a bit of experience as to how to build a company mm-hmm. um, and all the challenges that surround that. And also sort of how easy it is to just decide, hey, let's go start a company and just go do it yeah. uh, and, and learn how to be scrappy. Um, and that was that was sort of my first foray into technology uh, and the startup realm. Um, I ended up taking uh, a role in New York uh, to work with a, a consulting firm. Um, and that's essentially when, when, uh, all of these, uh, basically Brett's journey began with, mm. with the pet food. Uh, and so the, the, uh, the venture firm that I was working with was heavily involved in the recipe delivery businesses, um, so like Blue Apron, HelloFresh, mm-hmm. uh, and I got to know that model very well. Um, and so just being able to look at this issue, apply that model to, uh, to the problem and see what kind of solution that we created through that um, was also very helpful. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, Jonathan, it's an amazing uh, opportunity. I really love it. And even though I'm not a dog owner and see the immediate appeal and it's, I, I also love the process of getting started with bootstrapping and then taking the capital only when you really need it for scale. So it's a great model and example for our listeners. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right. So to keep up with The Farmer's Dog, you can check out their website. It's a really easy name, thefarmersdog.com. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM Channel 111. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or an iTunes.